in the last few years, what we've seen is that there's a huge shift in the retail model of apparel fashion specifically. And that shift has created a demand for on-demand manufacturing and on-demand supply from a completely different place. Not really from the design side of things. If you want something unique, a one-off, it has to be digitally made for you. So it wasn't from the design side, it wasn't from the business model side. It was mainly from the need to reduce the risks of inventory, to know how to actually monetize on trends. Hornet Digital has always marketed itself as a developer of technology, which in today's world is pretty much what every company is trying to say. In 2021, it seems like every company is either a tech company or a media company, or they're trying to be both. So what is it that makes Hornet different from all the rest? Well, it starts with the fact that Cornet is creating technology that is more than just an app or a gadget. It's developing tech to enable sustainable fashion production, which could have quite an effect on a $3 trillion industry. To achieve this end though, means that the brands have to start thinking and acting differently. Instead of supply and then demand, it's gonna be all about demand first and then creating the supply. Currently 30% of the fashion inventory is going unused and unsold. That negatively affects not just the company's bottom lines, but the resources wasted in producing and then eliminating those items has a massive negative impact on the environment. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Omer Kulka, the CMO of Cornet, explained to me all the ways the company is working to bring new technology, a new business model, and a whole new way of thinking to the industry to start turning those negatives into something better. And the change is coming sooner than you think. So if you wanna be prepared, you definitely wanna pay close attention to this convo. Enjoy. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter? It's amazing. It has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe, mission.org slash upnextincommerce. All right, on to the show. Hello, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. Today on the show, we have Omar Kulka, who serves as a CMO at Cornet Digital. Omar, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you on. We have been having a lot of fashion companies on over the past six months. So I think this will be a really nice conversation to kind of hear where the industry is headed, what's going on. Tell me a bit about Cornet Digital. Who are you guys and what do you do? Okay, so um, at Cornet, what we do is 
we're developers of technology. Uh, we started with developing technology for actually digital printing on textile. Uh, that's what, that was always our forte. However, we're actually expanding our offering to just uh, enable on-demand uh, sustainable fashion production. So if you look at our vision right now, our vision right now is really to shift the fashion industry to sustainable on-demand manufacturing. And we are working diligently on developing more and more solutions to actually enable that. So if we started from the world of hardware, uh, software, and consumables, a lot of chemistry and, and printing and, and, and finishing of textiles in general, uh, now we're actually expanding more into areas that were not originally uh, in our product offering. A lot, of, uh, a lot of them, for example, are software related more than anything else really allowing to connect demand and supply in the new world of, of fashion. When was this shift made into like focusing on fashion? It's, it's a transition, you know, so it's, mm -hmm. it's 10 years ago, I would say, um, if you look at who were our biggest customers, uh, they were um, very big customers, very successful were in each kind of like uh, segments of fashion. And most of them was not, were not really in fashion, but more apparel. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of them actually were built on unique business models. If you wanted personalized garments, for example, so you wanted to upload an image of some, of some sort, and then you wanted that, that cannot be made any way in a traditional way of, of making apparel. So this is where kind of like our technology was really the best at. Mm -hmm. In the last few years, what we've seen is that there's a huge shift in, in the retail model of, of apparel fashion uh, specifically. And that shift has created a demand for on-demand uh, manufacturing and on-demand uh, supply from a completely different place. Not really from the design side of things. As I said before, if you want something unique, a one-off, it has to be digitally made for you. Uh, so it wasn't from the design side. It wasn't from the business model side. It was mainly from the need to reduce the risks of inventory, to know how to, um, to actually monetize on trends. And then we saw that need uh, for on-demand manufacturing shifting from those unique, I would say, on-demand e-com niches to actually kind of like the mainstream fashion brands and retailers. Mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, when COVID came, things you know, accelerated very, very heavily yes. in, in in the same segments and in other segments as well that saw that this is an immediate thing. So I think that this is a shift that we started making um, in, in, about, in about 2017 is where we really started uh, making that shift. But I think that at the second half of last year is where we really said, you know, uh, we really need to change the way we do things, the way we think and, and our uh, position in the market. Before COVID, it was all about shifting a segment of the industry into on-demand. And if we thought that our role was, let's position ourselves in the best way to enjoy the trends that we actually identify in the market, I think that uh, at the second half of 2020, we actually identified that, we, that the market is changing and shifting so fast that we need to actually um, have a different role in it. Mm -hmm. So instead of just positioning ourselves in the best way possible to enjoy the trend, I would say, we understood that it's not only um, an opportunity for us, but also I would say an imperative for us to actually help the industry as a whole to transition. Yeah. I mean, what's so amazing about your guys' companies, I mean, you are not a small company. I think you have, what, over 500 employees at this point, or maybe even- no, Over 800. 800, okay. <laughs> over 800 employees thinking about this big, massive company that had always been doing kind of one thing and then completely disrupting yourself and saying, not 
only am I just a tech company now, like we are part of the fashion industry and making yourselves a leader in that industry and being seen as that now, like what has it been like taking your entire org and kind of shifting the mindset around like who we are and what is the culture about and what are our goals? Because to me, they're so different than what they were maybe five years ago. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. I don't, I don't think it has been. It still is. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a major transition. Again, in, in some ways, it was very, very difficult. It still is. In some ways, it's not as difficult for us. Mm-hmm. In a sense, we're, we're always, we're disruptors. That's, but we're from a technology perspective, it's true. And, and sometimes as a developer and, and R&D and technology, you, you look at things really kind of like narrow and, and, and you try to solve problems one at a time. So when COVID hit and everybody was kind of like taken aback and it's like, okay, what, what's, what's happening here? And we're sitting and it was like, you know, we were devising like plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and they became irrelevant even faster than they were when we were actually managing to, uh, to define them. You know, it was, it was a scary moment there, but then we said, you know what, Hey, let's breathe deep for a second. We're disruptors. This is, it's, this is, we feel comfortable in this environment. This is an environment of disruption and, and it's actually, it's, we're happy in it, so we're we're good. So I think that that need for a change and that capability to change was in our DNA, you know, to begin with. We've been growing the last eight or nine years for uh, about twenty four percent Kager top line. That means mm-hmm. that we double our revenue every three years. Yeah, uh, we're a different animal every three years, and and I would say when we're a different animal every three years, you need to think about you need to actually reinvent yourself every two years, and you need to think about it every year. So it's it's what we do all the time. But yes, the change that we started last year is is a much bigger change uh, than it was before, and we're a lot bigger now than we were. So yes, it is a lot more challenging, but it's um, it's a lot more exciting than that as well. And I think that the excitement and the belief in 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 the v, in the vision that we have, uh, I think this is what makes the transition possible in a company like ours. I think that you know it's like we believe in it. And it's not only the management team, it's, it's really, it's a vision that we live by and we actually do things to make it happen. I think that that is really the force, you know, behind it. You have, uh, there's this uh, phrase, I always probably get it wrong, but it's like uh, culture eats stra- strategy for breakfast or something like that. And, and it's true. Yep. So we have the strategy and it's, uh, it takes courage to change your strategy and, you know, and, and take a full company going in a different direction, but it's about the culture behind it. If, if you don't have it, it doesn't work. It's a, really, it's about the values behind it. I mean, we really believe that we're making an impact for the better. We really believe that we're making things better. And I think this is what driving people and, and allows us to drive this change. Yeah, really cool. So when thinking about like the supply and demand model, I want to kind of highlight, you know, the problems and what the industry has looked like up until now. I know you've in the past mentioned that it used to be uh, you would have inventory, you would have supply and you'd have to spark up demand. And there'd be really long lead times, maybe of like when you would actually, a customer would actually get something from when they would maybe see it on the runway. So I want to, you know, highlight a bit more of like, what did the industry look like and where is it headed now with you guys? Like, what will the world look like right now? So I would say the classic model of, of fashion is, is basically supply and demand. So what you do is you design something and then you make it, but it takes a very, very, very long time till it hits the street and the, and, and the stores. And there's no way that I will be able to know what you want to buy a year from now. Now, just so you understand, I mean, uh, average time is month, years, mm-hmm. a year, six to 18 months. It really depends on, on who you are. Of course, fast fashion is faster, but you know, as a general flow of things, it's six, nine, 12 months. 
So the only way for me to, to make that model work is to create the demand when my, my items actually are uh, getting closer to the store. Mm-hmm. That was how it worked, basically. It still does, by the way, in most, in most uh, areas of the business right now. So what happens is that suddenly flowers, you know, purple flowers, for example, is the hit of the season, right? So I make the trend. It's I make, you know, it's like I do marketing and all the, you know, and it's it, and and you see it in all the magazines and 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 the celebrities and the models and everything. But and it looks really really hot and hip and 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 now. But actually, those purple flowers were designed a year ago. But I make I make the trend now and then everybody buys it. Now what happened in the last few years is that people started buying online. And when you buy online you know, you behave completely differently and your purchasing decisions are being uh, affected by completely different things than, you know, when you go to, uh, to a brick and mortar store or well, when you flip a magazine. So for example, about 74% of purchasing decisions online are influenced by social media. So suddenly social media is actually calling the shots and what the trends are. And if, what happened in the last few years is that the trend setting actually shifted away from the brands and the retailers to, I would say, I, I call it the power to the people. It's like more fashionistas, bloggers. And if, you know, two or three years ago, it was still, you know, manageable because it was like the really huge mega influencers that were uh, making the trends. It's not the case anymore. It's, it's really kind of like it's out there. And what happens when you don't control the trend anymore, then suddenly it doesn't work. I really don't know what you're going to buy. And if you, if, and if we see what happened in the last in the last few years, trends are getting a lot shorter and the number of adopters is getting smaller as well. Yep. It's like micro trends popping exactly. up. Exactly. And they pop up and they and, and they disappear. Geographically, they're completely dispersed. Although if, for example, sometimes if you look at the digital sphere, they're very closely located because if you and I watch the same, you know, follow the same uh, trend, then, hey, we both want it. Right? Yeah, we're watching right the same now. TikTok videos, even though you're in Tel Aviv and I'm, I'm in Tel Aviv, Austin. You're in Austin. And yeah. <laughs> if I'm a brand and I want to monetize on that because we're going to move on in, in, in a week's, week's time, yeah. then we have to make sure that you get in an Austin, I get in Tel Aviv in the next, you know, in the time frame that we have to do that. That is impossible for the existing model to actually operate. In order actually to overcome that, there is about 30%, 33% of overproduction that is embedded within the model. So companies right now actually overproduce about 30% just in order to make sure that they don't miss out too much, that they don't run out on bestsellers and that they don't get stuck with too many inventory items everywhere. Mm -hmm. Now that 30% is a killer economically and it's a killer environmentally. And, Mm -hmm. and, And this is the key. And I think this is where most of the problem lies right now. And I think this is where the change is really required. So if I said before that, you know, in the past, the people that went to on-demand were really uh, driven by, by the, a, a different business model, a unique uh, design that is required. Right now, it's more about the fact that the business model right now is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. This shirt right now, a cotton t-shirt, in order to make this shirt, you need to use about 2.5 tons of water. It's a lot of water, especially if you have 33% more than you actually need. Huge pollution. Mm-hmm. So I use all these resources to get things into the market that nobody needs. And it fuels that, that cycle of overproduction, over demand. And just the cost is, is just humongous. 
economically as well, right? People get stuck with with unsold inventories, which is what actually created the not less than a collapse, I would say, of the retail model and the retailers in the last three years or so. So mm-hmm. it's it's unsold inventory um, and it's excess production is really killing our planet as well. So this is where the major problem lies. Now, if we look at how can we do things differently, this is where the on-demand uh, comes into play. What we're advocating for is we're advocating for on-demand sustainable manufacturing, which means that instead of supply and demand, you actually shift the model to demand and supply. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you actually, instead of trying to sell what you already manufactured, you're actually manufacturing what you already sold. That works when you completely change the production model behind it. Because right now, the way things are produced, they're produced in, in hubs, in places very, very far away. By the way, the reason why they are there are not very good reasons in the past. Is it just because of cost, maybe? Like, I'm in Austin, but I'm going to outsource to China, and then the order's going to come in, it'll be in China, it'll maybe end up in... Yeah. I don't know, Florida, and maybe get back to Austin eventually. <laughs> exactly. Mainly two reasons, uh, cost of labor. Mm-hmm. And in the past, now it's, it's, it's running out of steam, that, that working assumption. It was also because of sustainability standards and regulations. It was easier to do it there because it's very polluting and nobody can pollute. You know, in California, nobody's going to allow you to, you know, to pollute any water, so you can't do it there. So it was pushed to the farther corners of the earth in order, you know, it's going to be manufactured there and shipped here. Uh, what we're doing right now is we're, we're advocating something completely different. Instead of manufacturing, it's easier or cheaper to manufacture. Instead of kind of like creating a, a supply chain, let's create an on-demand supply matrix. So let's produce where the consumers are. And we all, we all think that this is impossible because consumers are everywhere. It's true. But, you know, in, in about 20 cities around the globe, you actually cover about 80% of, of the demand. And what we're advocating for is actually shifting forward the production, creating obviously sustainable production mechanisms because it has to be. And instead of having these huge hubs of overproduction and then shipping it over and trying to sell it, we actually create a matrix of sustainable on-demand production close to the consumers. So when you actually go online and choose something, you instigate an order that will be manufactured and produced for you specifically and will be shipped to you. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. And is Cornet the one that's having all these hubs? Or, I mean, it seems like also like a brand can come in and buy one of your guys' big printers, I guess, if they can afford it. Or maybe there's hubs set up too, or how does it actually work? 
So in the past, and this is a part of, of our transition as well. So in the past, it was for us, it was all about selling our technology and our equipment because that's how we made money. But right now, as I said, we're really trying to make that more, uh, more of a viable solution for, for many other people. Mm-hmm. And that change, actually, we, we actually created a unique, a completely different business offering and product offering. And, and what we're trying to establish right now is we're establishing a global fulfillment network of our customers. So we're actually creating an, an overlay of uh, a network that connects demand and supply. Uh, we have our own customers and we actually create the demand and we pull this demand and we, we route it smartly. We, we have smart routing, again, based on who you are as a consumer and where it's best to be produced. And this is what we're doing right now. So. In a sense, we're kind of moving the, the, the model from fast fashion to, um, to, to fast mm-hmm. fashion, I call it, fashion as a service. So, and I think that, that is a very appealing model also for brands. So most brands are not vertical. And as much as, as the concept and the model is actually very alluring to them, they will not start investing in, in, in production mechanisms. And uh, it's not what they do. They know how to design, they know how to market, they know how to sell. Uh, so we're actually creating an infrastructure of a global fulfillment network that will be able to provide that as a service. That also uh, means that you actually lower the bar, the entry barrier for designers. Yeah, like anyone can now enter the game and be able to print out a few things and not have to actually own a big piece of tech that maybe, you know, they'd have to be fully into a business to even be able to afford that back in the exactly. day. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, right now, if you want to produce your own line of clothes, you have to actually create yeah. everything and then try to sell it. So you have to put a lot of risk in the game. And if, if you don't, if you're not really sure of it, you know, it's, you can, you can lose everything. Mm-hmm. And right now what you do is it's actually risk-free. So what you, all that you need to have is your inspiration and your creativity, and then you can start rolling your own business. We talked about the, the, the problem that the retail model is, is in, in a parallel fashion is, you know, is facing the last few years. So a very interesting statistic is as um, in the last few years, the, the speed in which we saw apparel items moving from brick and mortar to online is only paralleled by two, two similar phenomena that we've seen, the, we, we've seen in the past. So one was in the mid-90s with Amazon and books, mm-hmm. and the other one was in the mid-2000s with, with music and, and iTunes. And I think that music and iTunes is probably a very, very good parallel um, because what happens with music and iTunes um, it created a full digital transformation of the music industry. And not only did it change the business model, right? So, you know, think about recording um, uh, companies. It completely changed their, their business model. So, you know, it was like mm-hmm. full album based on two hits. Then it was just every song was 99 cents and now it's streaming. So it's a completely uh, different shift. But to connect to what we just talked about, it's not only about that. It completely democratized music. Because it completely changed the rules of what is a hit, who decides what is a hit, who is going to be a published artist. It's not someone in an office somewhere that decides that, no, I can decide it for, my, for myself. You know, if I think that I can be a published artist, I publish. And if the public likes it, then it's out there and it's great. So I think that this is the shift that we're going to see in the fashion industry as well, which is going to... Um, uh, completely change, I would say, the, the, the landscape of fashion. I think uh, the players, uh, who's, who's going to be a player in the fashion industry and what is, what is going to be the definition of that? Yeah, which is, I mean, super exciting when you think about all the boutiques and stuff who have really amazing, you know, 
fashion and trends there that you wouldn't find anywhere else. I mean, they have that everywhere here in Austin where you walk into stores and you're like, wow, how do people not like more people not know about you? Definitely is giving an opportunity to a lot of people. I mean, what are some of the trends? I'm I'm sure you guys see a ton of stuff behind the scenes of people, you know, coming online and selling their things. Like what are some maybe newer trends that you're seeing pop up over the last six months with some brands or creators? I mean, I know you also work with Amazon and they're an investor in you guys. Like, tell me a bit about what you see changing right now. That's a bit of a surprise to you maybe, or just exciting to watch. So for me, I always like, I always like the places where things kind of like mesh up in, mm-hmm. in, in a sense, you know, it's like, well, in our industry is always uh, no pun intended, but it's like uh, in the scenes, right? It's that where most, the most interesting things uh, I think take shape and, and happen. Probably the, one of the most interesting trends that I see right now is, is that mesh up between physical and virtual. Mm-hmm. And to see where virtual fashion is going and how it is going to connect uh, to the physical world. I have to say it was something that was, it was a little difficult for me to grasp at the beginning. You know, it's like at first it was like, okay, what does it mean that that's a virtual fashion? So, you know, everybody's talking about virtual and, and, and digital and, 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 many, and many times this means that I bought something online, but I, I don't mean about that. I don't mean that. I mean that. Uh, virtual fashion is actually fashion that doesn't really exist in, in real life. And we're starting to see these collaboration between uh, design houses and gaming developers. So mm-hmm. you, see, you start to see fashion in games, in video games, computer games. So again, at first I was like, I'm not sure where, how, why, but then, then clicked. And I, 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 really, I really understand it. And, I, and when I think about on-demand sustainable manufacturing, it's on-demand sustainable manufacturing. This is on-demand sustainable fashion. Because you never get it. There's nothing there. <laughs> it is there. It's fine, you know? I mean, I guess I'll look at, but think I mean... The follow- no, but think about the following applications. So a lot of us are remote anyway. And, you know, we all like to post pictures of ourselves. And let's say you want to you wanna post a, a, a beautiful picture uh, of yourself wearing this most amazing dress. Okay. I kind of actually see that now because a lot of people are like, oh, I just want to look good in this picture. And it is a very heavy Instagram world right now. Specifically for you. And it's going to be an amazing looking dress. And you're going to look mm-hmm. amazing in the picture. And that's it. And, and it's a completely virtual world. You're real. You're physical. The, the, dress, yeah. the dress is physical, uh, is virtual. So I think it's going to be very interesting for me to see where it goes. Um, because I think, again, when we think to ourselves, we always think about retail as omni-channel. But it's not about retail. It's about us. We're omni-channel right now. Right? Yep. There is a layer there. And if you think about fashion, not, not as what it is on, in the physical term of things, but what is the function that it plays in our life? What is the, the, the role that it plays? And it's about self-expression and self-identity. Mm-hmm. Um, then virtual fashion can do that for you in the virtual world when a lot, where a lot of, of our existence is actually taking place. Very interesting. For me, that's probably one of the most interesting trends that I see right now. Um, and it can take different shapes and different ways. Um, there are other trends, of course, um, you know, just seeing, in a sense, the forced marriage, I would say, brands and, and marketplaces, they were never good friends. Now they have to be good friends. So I think there are a lot of things that are changing. And I think that they're changing for the better because I think that they change for, um, for different reasons that will actually make, will have to make people work better and do things better. Uh, I think that sustainability and the need for transparency. This was a big shift um, that took place in, during COVID. Mm-hmm. So suddenly everybody is like, okay, there's a crisis here and I want to know what's behind it. The demand of consumers right now for transparency 
and traceability of what they wear uh, is probably, again, one of the most important things uh, out there as well. And it's, again, it's that combination between um, sustainability and the fashion that I'm wearing. And I think that is also a huge trend that will probably change the industry very, very dramatically. Again, a parallel that is interesting to me in that sense is probably food industry about 20 years ago, mm-hmm. that suddenly people wanted to know what's in it. And they started looking at the ingredients and what happened to the ingredients, how, you know, from the back end of whatever it was in very, very small font, it became, you know, at the front, large fonts. Yeah. So fast food, but not necessarily junk food. You can get mm-hmm. salad. So I think that that shift, uh, again, uh, I think it's going to change the, the industry as well. So I think, yes, there are some very interesting trends that we see right now that are definitely going to change fashion. And fashion is not an industry that is just out there. It's, it's somebody, it's, it's something that touches everybody. Yeah. What's exciting about the time that we're in now too, is that you can actually see all the data into the supply chain. I mean, we had on a, an executive from Avery Dennison a couple episodes back, and he was talking about how, you know, they can add a digital ID to every part of you yeah. know, the yeah. entire supply chain down to, you know, the smallest piece of that item. And people actually want that now. They want to understand like, hey, what's happening to my Adidas shoes after the fact? Where is it going? Is it actually getting reused? Is it in a new pair of shoes? And being able to actually show that from a data perspective seems like now we have access to things that we just didn't have, you know, a decade ago. And so it's even kind of improving people's excitement towards, you know, now they can see it and they want to see more of it and know, you know, what's happening with their items, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And that obviously opens up the uh, whole concept of circular economy, which is also, I think, a big thing that fashion yep. will have to, uh, to start playing it because a lot of the stuff that we wear is very short lived and that's it. And then it's gone. And, and I yep. think that we have to rethink how we do that as well. So again, it, this infrastructure of, of technologies that allow us to, to monitor, to identify, to get the data is, is crucial to actually make that work as well. Yeah. The other thing I want to touch on was we talked a bit earlier about you guys shifting, you know, to become part of the fashion industry. And I want to hear more about like how you guys did that earlier before we were recording, you were talking about um, fashion shows and being a part of that. And I just want you to touch a bit on that because I thought it was very interesting seeing how you guys are playing in the industry now and becoming like a leader and actually having events. So if you could talk yeah. a bit more about that, that'd be cool. Yeah. It started actually at the beginning of this year uh, when we actually joined forces with the producer of, of the Tel Aviv Fashion Week. At first, actually, we, we came at it from a completely technological perspective when we said, listen, we have some very, very new, exciting products that came out this year. And uh, these products that can actually produce a lot of different applications that were not out there before. And we're kind of like, uh, you know, thinking, it's like, okay, what can we do with it? And we said, Let, let's start joining forces with, with designers. They'll know what to do with it. We'll just create the tools and they'll, they'll play with it. So, okay, let's, let's try and do that. And, you know, one thing led to another. And we said, okay, we need to have more designers, uh, you know, around us. Um, and we started getting closer to the design community, designer community. But again, from, from that perspective of let's get our technology really enable creativity more than anything else. But then we mm-hmm. had the conversation about Tel Aviv Fashion Week. And Moti Raif, who is the producer of Tel Aviv Fashion Week, is, uh, like he's, a, he's a known uh, persona, fashion persona here in Israel. When I first met him, he, he told me something that was really, and this is when, when it clicked. He told me, listen, I've been in fashion for 30 years, but fashion is, is, is not about nice clothes. It's not about that at all. It's about a platform that reaches every, each and one of us in very, very intimate places. And this is why it's a platform that can really convey a message 
And through that, this is where we click. And we understood that there is a platform here that we can actually convey a message and we can actually communicate values that are important to us that we think are important to other people as well. Now, Tel Aviv Fashion Week is actually the first uh, place where they started breaking the concept of um, the model of beauty. So there are models of different genders, ages, sizes, and it has been that way for the past five or seven years already. So this one, we said, okay, listen, let's, let's do it together. Let's make this year's Tel Aviv Fashion Week all about sustainability from the social side of things, but also from the environmental side of things. And we created full collections for the fashion show in something like two to three weeks. And that was possible, again, because of the unique capability that our technology enables to produce fashion, really on-demand, sustainable, so you can do it close. You don't need all um, any other you know, processes outside of it. So it's completely standalone and you can do it. And it started there, which was a big success. And it was a huge transition for us. Think about it. I mean, we develop systems. We actually make ink. We have an ink plan. And mm-hmm. suddenly we're on the runway. It was a mind-blowing transition to, to, to all of us. I mean, to think about, usually you would see like people on a runway and be like, oh, wow, what can, when can I you know, actually buy that? And it's like a year later. And I'm like, oh, am I still even interested in that? I remember that from a long time ago. And now it's just starting to come to market. The only person who was wearing it was a Kardashian because they knew the designer. <laughs> so it's such a change of mindset now. Exactly. And what happened there is we said, okay, what we take is we take the long cycle and we shorten it. Not only the production to the show, but from show to store is going to take you days. Mm-hmm. So instead of a year, you see it on the runway, you can buy it next day. Online, on demand, you can buy it. It will be made especially for you and sent over. And that is the concept behind it. We joined forces with a design group called 3S4 in the New York Fashion Week that took place about uh, three, three weeks ago. They are very, very creative. And for them, it's all about kind of like stretching the technology to the, to the limits and, and see how fashion and technology can meet in, in very uh, unique and inspiring places. And there as well. So there was a full collection on the runway made in a, in a matter of weeks. And then on that, we build a unique collection that is going to be available on demand only. So you see it on the runway, we translate it to on-demand collection you can buy online and that's it. That was like the second step. And, uh, and the next one is that we have a huge event that we are actually um, having in LA in the first week of November. Uh, it's going to be the Cornette Fashion Week. Uh, we're going to debut that in LA. Things are going to be made sustainably from the environmental side of things. And they're going to be available from runway to commercialized goods that can be sold, again, in a matter of days instead of you see it on the runway and, you, and then you meet it at the store. The idea behind it is how we can really create an impact that is much larger than ourselves and can really help an entire industry really transition in the place where it needs to, uh, where it needs to go and needs to be. That's amazing. I want to hear a little bit too around, I mean, there's, you know, a big movement around exclusivity. You see that with like scarcity and NFTs popping up being really big. And I want to hear like how you guys are, you know, thinking about that around this industry where now, you know, you're able to print things quickly, have them when you want. Like, it seems like now anyone can kind of access this technology, any brand, and it actually kind of takes away from that exclusivity and the scarcity method that many have relied on. So how are you kind of viewing this trend right now that maybe isn't 
totally associated with fashion, but I feel like you guys are looking outside your industry for other trends. So maybe you're thinking about it. It's a big difference between physical and virtual here. So we believe in, in infinite virtual possibilities, mm-hmm. but physically we make only what we desire. We don't make anything else. And I think that this is where the exclusivity comes from. Uh, think about it. You just look at, at, at infinite possibilities, but they're just out there in the virtual world. They're not physically available uh, in other places. It actually creates more exclusivity than, than what you think. Mm-hmm. So first of all, it actually enables complete exclusivity because you can actually customize or personalize whatever you want. Okay, so the entire concept of co-creation that me as an end consumer can co-create my unique apparel is something that is embedded within this model, actually. Actually, most of our customers do personalization and customization. Mm-hmm. So that actually allows for um, hyper exclusivity. You can make your own thing and it it will be made for you. But I think that it actually opens up uh, a place for more exclusivity as well, because when we buy at the same store and there are only 10 items there, the chances of us actually getting the same item are pretty high. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to uh, to a store, like a high street store, and then, you know, it's it's trendy and you buy the trendy stuff. And then we end up at the party wearing the same thing. Yeah. If I actually choose from an infinite, you know, theoretically an infinite menu of virtual items, those chances are getting very, very slim. Got it. OK. So instead of being at like an H&M where you're looking at something, there's, there's only five left, but you're like, well, there's all these H&Ms around. Other people are definitely buying this T-shirt. You're saying now there's just way more items that you can still have a small amount of quantity. So then everyone is actually wearing their own thing and you're never going to run into someone with the same t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, you can always run the exclusivity as you want. So you can always create a limited edition. The fact that I can actually manufacture it again doesn't mean that I have to. Mm -hmm. So think about it. It's, It's always one by one. It's when you want it, somebody will produce it for you. When I want it, somebody will produce it for me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't conflict in any way. It actually gives you more. In, in a sense, it actually gives you more opportunities for exclusivity and creating uh, unique uh, and different collections. Cool. Yeah, I love that. You're able to kind of control what you want to do with it and lean into that trend or not if you don't want to. That's great. All right. So the last piece I want to hear is kind of like, what are you most excited about around Cornet Digital? Like where are you guys heading over the next one to three years that yeah, you're excited to see come true? So it's definitely that that transition that we're talking about. So what we're completely changing who we are as a company. So I think Mm -hmm. that the DNA of us um, as inventors and disruptors is the same, but the scale and the places that we're taking it are completely different than than before. And, And that is super exciting because at the end, I think that for me, it's all about just how much impact you can make, mm-hmm. how far you can reach with your impact. And I think that what we see right now is our impact is becoming more evident and, and, and clearer to a lot more people. And I think that we can actually manage to touch more and more people and, and affect more people's lives. I truly believe that we're, we're transitioning uh, an industry um, to a better place and to see that taking shape and, and to see that you know, real categories of everyday life that people like us are actually enjoying um, and, and, and using are, are changing for the better. That for me is the most exciting thing. And, and um, it's, it's, it's a journey. It's, uh, it's, not, it's, it's not an easy uh, task. And, um, and again, it's always easier said than done. You know, so like even with the technology and the capabilities and everything is out there, you know, it's not that fast that 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 entire industry is moving uh, in a different place and in a different direction. But I think that 
for me, that's the most exciting because I actually see it right now. And um, it's it's been a long journey. And, and we said it's like it's been years that, you know, for years we we actually advocated for that change. Um, but seeing right now the acceleration and how things are, are shifting uh, for me, super exciting. And it's funny, I had this conversation um, with one of our board members, actually, and he asked me, listen, do you really think that you guys can actually change the supply chain? Do you think that the supply chain of this entire industry is going to change? And I told him, yes, absolutely. Why not? And I told him a story with a, about a conversation I had with a gentleman that was um, uh, the COO of one of the biggest kind of like um, house of brands in the fashion industry, you know, a billion a multi-billion dollar company. And he told me about a story about his biggest project when he joined the company. And that big project was in the 90s. And that project was to shift production from the US to China. Mm-hmm. And he told me, listen, it was a nightmare. There was nothing there. There was no nowhere to produce, no skilled labor. There were no raw materials. There was nothing there. We couldn't do anything. And that was in the 90s. So yes, it's it's a long time ago, but that not that long time ago. And I was like, if in the 90s, when somebody tried to manufacture fashion in China, it was like a nightmare for them because there was nothing there, then yes, hell yes, we can change, you know, the end of yeah. in the supply chain because things are moving a lot faster these days than no, if they can do that, you all can do anything. Yeah. So if if back then they can actually shift and right now for us, everything is made in China. So it's clear that it was always there and, and, and always has been, but it's not. Um, yep. So, yes, yeah, so I definitely think that in five, 10, 15 years, if you look a little further, not two, three years, yeah, two, three years, you know, you can you can shift things around, but not an entire industry. But, yes, I, I definitely think that five, 10, 15 years from now, we're going to see a completely different model of of manufacturing, how fashion is made and how fashion is serving us as end consumers and how it serves us as citizens of the planet differently. Um, and for me, that's the most exciting thing about it is that really be a part of something that is a lot bigger than us and, and making a change for the better. Well, I love that. That's a perfect spot to wrap it up. Omar, thank you so much for hopping on here and hanging out. Hopefully I'll see you at the fashion show in LA, but if not, where can people find out more about you and Cornet Digital? Look us up on the internet, Cornet. Uh, Cornet Fashion Week is where you will find um, our platform, our new alternative platform for Fashion Weeks that starts in LA. That's it. That sounds good. Thanks so much, Omar. Thank you, Stephanie. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.